0: Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking. Another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there. But if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. what's going on everyone It is episode 25 of the mma talk fight after the fight with me your boy noah petrie r6 mma talk and sorry for the little blunder there i am extremely tired it is 12 26 on the monday before the podcast drops on tuesday at 7 a.m so i gotta record this bad boy edit this bad boy so now here's the thing, in regards to editing, I don't really need to do the editing. The only time I ever need to do editing is when someone decides to drive by blaring a horn or some bullshit. So it's extremely quiet in New York today. Honestly, it's too quiet. So I'm hoping I can get through the entire podcast about any of the shitheads in New York doing something stupid so that I can just upload it and we're just good to go because the only time I ever have to edit anything is because... When someone wants to uh, want to ruin my podcast for some particular reason, but uh, it's it's dead silent, so I'm hoping that it stays that way so that uh, so, uh, so so I can get some good night's sleep because I gotta wake up at seven a.m. Ironically, but this is episode twenty five r six of May Talk five thirty five. Me, your boy Noah Petri. I'll be going over UFC this past weekend. The fight that just happened was his Grasso against Arajo. Um, of course, going over any. You know, news, dramas happen happened in the MMA sphere. My predictions for UFC 280. And, of course, my hot take for the week. So, let's not waste any time, guys. Let's jump right into it. So, before I even get into the fights for last fight card, I really want to go over the fights that didn't seem to happen. This fight card was actually supposed to be stacked. Um, but two major fights fell out. Ascroff against Royval and Magnin against Rodriguez. Those two fights are going to be extremely interesting. Uh, I'm surprised that... You know, you didn't have Askarov Royval as the, the the main event for the fight card, but thankfully that wasn't the case because you know it it, it turned out not to be so in general. Um, so it's good that they have Grasso and Arayo as the uh, the main event after all. So the Magni against Rodriguez, I thought was going to be super interesting because I want to see Rodriguez as a up and comer. Um, Fairly new to the UFC still. Had a a couple fights for the UFC. Has been looking very good. Neil Magny is going to be his biggest test yet. I really wanted to see how he was going to be able to handle Neil Magny's constant pace. Because as you know, Neil Magny's pace is fucking phenomenal. His stamina is phenomenal. Dude would never get tired. His one blaring weakness is grappling. That thing is is definitely known throughout the MMA. Um, But Rodriguez is more of a stand-up striker anyway. So I wanted to see how Neil, how uh, Rodriguez was going to be able to effectively or possibly ineffectively handle Neil Magny's pace. Um, so that fight, I was really, really excited for. Fortunately, it fell out. Then we have Askarov against Roy Val, which was honestly would have been the best fight on the card, um, to be entirely honest with you. And here's the thing, right? I favored Askarov in that fight. I think Askarov's last fight, he didn't look so good, was mostly because of his time off. Like, he had a substantial amount of time off. He His grappling, it seems it, was it wasn't a—it was necessarily a step or two behind, but it wasn't as effective as it was prior to his time off. So maybe it was a ring rust, and he was going in there with someone who was, you know, very top of the division, and gave a, a pretty good performance. Um, but I thought, going into this fight against Roy Val that we were going to see, you know the best that that Askarov has, but unfortunately, when it comes to Askarov and his career, man, it's been really up and down. It's been really up and down. It's been, you know, fight cancellations, missing weight, pulling out for injury, having a two-year time off, like, it's been constantly up and down, man, and when you look at, you know, when you look at Russian Dagestani fighters, it's kind of like that. A lot of pulling out of fights, a lot of missing weight, you know, a lot of these undisclosed injuries and that kind of stuff. It makes me wonder. You know, is it is it are they having too much of a brutal fight camp that they're coming out with injuries for the fight, or do they not do don't they have access to a dietitian or to make way? Like, what's the what's the issue here? Because it seems like there's something that's happening. You know, along the that that regional. Um, mma fighters within that region so maybe there's something to that it might just be me just you know really digging into it and trying to look for you know a uh a possible correlation as they say just because something's core like correlation doesn't lead to causation or causation is not you know correlation whatever the fuck I, I, i'm tired you know you know the saying so I, it it could be a correlation there but honestly who knows it's just something that i i've personally observed. But one again to Cub Swanson gets Martinez fight. And Cub at first had a really weird press conference. You know, he was just sitting there and the person next to him was doing all the talking for him. I don't think you know Martinez after the fight says he think that he took offense to, to Cub with that press conference. He thought that he was sliding him. I don't think that wasn't the case at all. Cub is really not that kind of guy. I think that Cub was just he's been in the fight game for so long, you know, he's an older fighter, obviously tail end of his career. He's gonna fairly he's gonna retire fairly soon. So I I just think that he was just having fun. You know, he was just, you know, being goofy and he did it as a gimmick, not necessarily to, you know, um, pass on any slight or disrespect Martinez in any way. But cub did not look bad in this fight he didn't look terrible in this fight is his first time going down to 135 honestly i think this is probably the division he should have been in his entire career um i think he, he might have had more success in 135 rather than in 145 if he would have moved to 135 in his prime um but he here's the thing right he didn't look terrible his stri- his striking was pretty good he was throwing good combinations his speed was pretty good um, but there are some things that he should have worked on as he started to advance and age throughout his career. And one being is that his striking style is really, you know, karate based. He has his hands down, he has a wide stance, you know, he, he's rushing in and throwing combinations. So that that particular fighting style doesn't age well for the most part. Now, if you're more reactive. As like stephen thompson for example who still maintain a lot of his reaction time and reaction speed and he's more reactive and defensive with it in that case it, 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 it you can you know still utilize that style as you progressively age but for the most part that style is not a style that necessarily age as well it's really really dependent on your youth in that your reaction time your reaction speed um and being able to move in and out as fast as humanly possible and as you get up there in age you start to slow down so it's clear that you know multiple times in that fight he was really rushing in and he was getting tagged every single time that he came rushing in again his speed was still fairly there which i was kind of surprised at, especially because he went down a weight division where you know typically when a fighter goes down a weight division you see a speed um a speed disadvantage because they're fighting guys who are lighter um so his speed still look pretty good in regards to you know the 135 division where speed is you know king so i just think that he should have been more grappling heavy towards these later ends of his career which he did utilize some grappling in that fight too but i do think he should have been more grappling heavy um when it comes to offense and when it comes to striking more reactive and defensive. I think his best work was happening when he was more reactive defensive, when he was letting Martinez um, take charge and take lead of the fight, when when Cub was working more towards off the back foot. Now there were times where he was getting tagged in that department as well, especially in regards to the kicks. The leg kicks were ultimately the end of the fight, um, a lot of the body kicks, some of the head kicks. Now he was taking damage when he was more reactive. But it was definitely clear that he was more proactive in the striking, that's where he was really taking the most damage because he was getting caught every single time he was coming in. So uh, he didn't look bad. He didn't look bad. I'll give him that. Now, he did almost get finished in the first round. He got hit with a really bad knee um, that rocked him, and he ended up surviving. Now, if it was like 10, 15 more seconds on that clock in that first round, he definitely, the fight would have called over. But he recovered very well going to the second round. The second round, he gets rocked again. Now, he did recover very well as well. Um, he was able to regain his senses and get back on his feet. But after that, he was getting rocked with leg kicks, man. He gets too, he gets hit with two leg kicks, and it's clear that he drops to the floor, gets back up. Gets hit with a leg kick, drops to the floor, gets back up. Those leg kicks are really starting to add up on him. And at the end, he got hit with a leg kick, and his body just... his. His body's collapsed. His leg was like, no moss, we're not doing this anymore. And you can see for a split second when he goes down, his leg starts to spasm a little bit. He was clearly in visible pain. So that being said, am I ready and willing to say, yo, Cubs should retire? Not necessarily yet. I do think he's here for a good time, not a long time, because he's already 38 and he has taken a lot of damage his career. But he didn't look bad. That's the thing. He didn't look bad. When we when I see a fighter who I think should personally retire is when they're getting knocked the fuck out and they're older in age, or they're just not throwing anymore, like Tyron Woodley, and he's also older in age. So the fact that Cub still looked alive and active in this fight and looked pretty good, but clearly you know age has caught up to him. He's not the same fighter he was before, and he did suffer a fairly bad TKO loss in this one. I would say Cub should do one more. Do one more against an up-and-coming fighter. If you lose the up-and-coming fighter, like have Cub fight like a Adrian Yanez. And that's such bad freaking <laughs> this is bad uh, Bad matchmaking for Cub Swanson, because Adrian Yanez is a fucking amazing fighter. But have him fight someone like that, for example. Someone who's up and coming. And if he loses that one in a similar fashion, then I think it's time to, to hang it up. But all in all, I wouldn't say he looked terrible. Um, but it's clear that his best days are definitely behind him. Now I want to go into the main event, Grasso gets Arayo. And the one, the first thing that popped out to me was how little leg kicks are actually happening in this fight. I thought that Arayo was going to come in there and utilize more leg kicks for the fact that her background is in Muay Thai. Um, but Grasso is one who's actually utilizing more kicks in general, mostly leg kicks for the most part, but which is utilizing more kicks in general which I think really helped her in her striking and getting the better of those exchanges. But four to five rounds of the duration of the five rounds, Grasso just got the better in all the exchanges. Grasso has more of a boxing background. Araya has more of a multi-background. Araya also has a really good ground game submission-wise. Um, I think that she was able to get um, Grasso on the ground a few times. So Grasso was able to get back up effectively and... Um, was able to not get wrapped up into any submissions. So she did do a good job defensively on the ground and grappling and doing some scrambling to get back up on her feet. But for the most part, this fight happened, occurred on the feet, which Grosso just got the better of all the exchanges. Like she was able to perfectly utilize that left jab, and she utilized a right cross every time coming in as well, that looping right hand. What she did a good job of is going in and out. She was constantly in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Not only that, but she was rotating around the octagon. She was never linear. She was constantly, she didn't switch dances at all, but she was constantly rotating around the octagon, just keeping Arayo moving, constantly moving, constantly moving. What Arayo should have done was utilize leg kicks, utilize body kicks to stop the movement of Grosso, so that Grosso could be more of a stationary target. Not only that, but constantly have her on the back foot. Both fighters showed a lot of aggression in that there wasn't one particular fighter I feel like was more aggressive, was pushing the pace more. They were fairly neck and neck. I think Arroyo should have pushed the pace more, have Grosso on the back foot against the cage. Arroyo should have utilized the clinch work, go for takedowns, try to tire out Grosso in that way mainly to get her on the ground because that was going to be Arroyo's best chance of winning. Um, which we saw, I believe, is the second or third round. She was able to get Grasso on the round and really control her for most of that round. So I think that should have been the game plan for her going forward. But she just played Grasso's fight. She completely played Grasso's fight. Grasso is a phenomenal boxer. She's Mexican of descent, which is obvious. Um, but she was just too willing to box grosso like why are you fighting a fight that your your opponent is far superior in it just shows that maybe there's a, a lack of fight IQ if you will there um but was a, a definitely an impressive victory for grosso i think that Grosso said after the fight in the post-fight interview that she would like one more for fighting for the belt. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think she should fight the very top of the division, very echelon of the division. I would say maybe, I believe Jukagian's in the same division as her. i got to double-check that cause Jukagian, you know, bounced around fairly recently. Um, but that's a fight you can make, and I think it's a fight that makes sense. So I do believe that she should have one more before getting to the title fight, but she looked very, very good in this fight. Her striking is very, very good. What I think she should work on, I don't really think I saw anything that she should necessarily work on. I think that maybe utilizing more kicks, possibly, to, to throw more combinations and utilizing kicks. Because in striking-wise, striking most of your opponents are going to figure that you're going to have more of a boxing style anyway and more punching heavy. So I feel like she can slip in some really good body kicks, head kicks, leg kicks, and utilizing and mixing up that style too. Um, but that's, she, she did do some of that in this fight anyway. Um, so maybe a little bit more of it. But besides that, I don't really see anything that I think she could have done better um, in that regard. So that was the the, the fight this past weekend. Now I want to get to MMA News Slash Drama. Now chatry who is... I believe CEO of, CEO of owner of one championship. He says that it's, he calls it fake news that one FC is $383 million in the hole, even though they reported that loss themselves. And it it just doesn't make any sense. He's literally just trying to cover face here. One FC literally reported these losses on their own. They personally reported these losses and made it public. So for you to say it's fake news it just doesn't make any sense i'm guessing he, he he had to put it public for the fact for financial re, financial reasons and then he maybe wasn't expecting it to garner as, as much attention as it was you know as it uh as it did maybe investors started looking into it more and obviously almost 400 million dollars in the hole is not good at all the company is the company i'm 90 percent sure the company is going to go under 90% sure the company is going to go under. It is extremely hard to recuperate 400 million dollars in losses, especially in an industry that's so dominant with one particular company, the UFC, who arguably owns a monopoly. So you're 400, almost 400 million in the hole. You've been saying you're going to be, you know, net positive and have a, you know, actually generating ROI for the past three, four years, and it hasn't done so, it, 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 it just seems like the company is going to sink, which is super unfortunate because one is a very good option for fighters to, you know, explore the market, and not just be in the UFC. And not only that, I'm a true fan of their product. I like the, the product that they have. They have a event coming up this Friday, Lineker against uh, Andrade, which I'm going to be watching. Um, so I'm a real fan of their product. I think it's the, the the one MMA product that's very different from the UFC in a good way, um, but it, it just seems like financially they're stuck in a hole. I don't see any way for them ever getting out of it. Then we have fight. We have uh, Uriah Hall claiming that fighters get 10k while ring girls get 70k, and how there's a huge disparity, and that shouldn't be the case. Now a lot of fighters, there, there's some that aren't a contract. That are 10k to win, 10k to show. 20K to win, 20K to show, 30K to win, 30K to show. That's generally, for the most part, for most fighters um, that are in the UFC, that's their pay. So the UFC is technically supposed to guarantee you three fights a year. So they're supposed to offer you three fights a year. Now, that could be three fights that are terrible matchups for you. or, Or fights that just really doesn't make sense for you at all. But as long as they offered you three fights, they technically... Did their part of the deal. So, and on top of that, you have to fight three times a year. So, you, you, if you win all three, if you're making 20 and 20 and you win all three, then you made 60 grand. Now, if you got a performance bonus in one of those three fights, which is no guarantee there, you made 100 grand. So, you have to win three fights to make 100 grand. Um, that's including winning. A performance bonus. And that's including fighting three times a year. Which most fighters don't. So. Is there a huge disparity in pay? Now in comparison to the ring girls. The ring girls do more. Than just walk around the ring. With bras and panties on. Like they, they really do. Like this thing that the ring girls just walk around. With bras and panties on. And just fucking parade themselves. Partially true yes. That's definitely a huge part of their job. But they also do other stuff too. Like they do a lot of social media marketing stuff. They do a lot of, they're brand ambassadors. So they go to events, they, they, they meet fans, they do that kind of stuff as well. So it's not that they're just walking around, you know, at once every five minutes for the night and that's it. They do more than that. So the fact that they get paid 70K, I'm okay with actually. I think maybe they should get paid more. I think maybe each ring girl should get paid 100K. Um, but that being said, should the Ringos be making more than fighters? No, absolutely not. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely not. I think for the most part, I think here's my thing, right? If a, if an entry-level fighter, if a fighter who just came out of the contender series, comes into the UFC, I think minimum if they fight three times a year should make a hundred to a hundred and fifty K. I think that's what they should make. I think it should be one flat fee. It shouldn't be a win or loss, you know, it should be a win bonus or it should just be show money, show money straight up, what's the price? So if they get 40 grand to fight three times a year, 120 grand, maybe if they win a performance bonus, it's 160, 170 grand. That's not bad. Like even living in expensive ass New York, that's not necessarily bad. So uh, I, I really wouldn't mind that if they just did in that fashion. But technically, the UFC is not doing anything illegal. We all know fighter pay is bullshit. So do I agree with Uriah Hall here? I gotta say yes. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, Terrence McKinney says fighter pay is perfectly fine. Now, he's saying that a lot of people don't know these... You know, a lot of these people who are saying about fighter pay, they don't know the financials. You know, They don't know the bonuses, the back-end money... You know, the, the, that kind of stuff, the stuff that's not reported, which is technically illegal because the UFC has to report every single um, dollar that they give to the fighters. It, doing so is literally against the law. So uh, that's not good. But um, am I saying it doesn't happen? It probably does, to be honest with you. Um, but um, the thing is, he was comparing it to making, you know, $14 an hour like compared to what he was doing back then making 40,000 an hour he's living a good life which if you're comparing to that of course you're living a good life you know like obviously you're living very well in comparison to making less than minimum wage now cuz minimum wage is like 17 so in comparison to making less than minimum wage yeah you're doing perfectly fine but in comparison to what you should be making that's why i disagree so, I, I just find it so weird. I think, I think it's called Asperger's Syndrome, where, you know, the person who's kidnapped falls in love with the kidnapper. And it, that's really the case with a lot of these MMA fighters, especially in regards to the UFC. A lot of them are just so okay just to suck the UFC and suck Dana and to just agree with fighter pay and agree that everything's perfectly fine. When in reality, we know it's not. Like, it's really not up for debate anymore. Like all, so much data is out there when it comes to articles, financials, everything, you name it. There's so much information out there that the UFC should be paying their fighters so much more. And the fire pay is not great. And still people decide to side with them. It really just doesn't make any sense. Now, Masvidal makes a case for a third title shot saying, who doesn't want to see me face Leon? Here's the thing. Would I be, from a viewer perspective, from a fan of the sport perspective, especially with all the, the, you know, the beef they had for years prior with the incident of Maswell sucker punching him. Would I be interested in the fight? Yes. Would I be interested in seeing the fight? Yes. Do I think it should be a title shot? No. I think, one, that punch happened when? 2018? We're about to be in 2023? So that's Five years. <clears throat> That's five years. That you know you. When that shit happened, the fight should have been booked a year or two after at most. It's been five years already, so no one cares anymore. Like a lot of the, a lot of the fans who are in this fan base probably don't even realize that shit happened. Because you know you the MMA is a revolving door. I say, I say fandom typically occurs turnover-wise like every five years. So every five years, you get a new batch. And typically, they don't know the stuff that happened in the last five years. Or they don't know what happened in the last five years in depth. So, in depth. So, it just... The time passed, man. It doesn't make sense. And on top of that, he doesn't deserve a title shot. On top of that, he doesn't deserve a title shot. You're coming off with of three losses. Doesn't make sense. I understand he's trying to sell the fight, but and I wouldn't be surprised if UFC did it, but we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't even be talking about this. It shouldn't be up for discussion. Now, Cachudo says that Volkanovski is making a huge mistake being backup for UFC two hundred and eighty. Now he goes on to explain that he's the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. There's no reason why he's doing a backup fight for a title shot. He's like, you're gonna get a title shot anyway. So are you're putting yourself in a predicament that you don't know in the outcome that you are the backup fighter, who you would face, maybe you face Oliveira, maybe you face Islam, you don't have a proper training camp for either of them. So you're kind of setting yourself up for failure there. Not only that, but you're making yourself look bad, being a pound for pound number one in the sport and taking a backup fight. So imagine Canelo doing that in boxing, which all valid points. I get all of it. I do respect Volkanovski putting himself out there to be the backup fighter in a title fight. Just so, you know, because he's trying to pursue greatness. So he has my respect in that regard. But I do agree with Cejudo here. I think that it doesn't put him in the best situation um, as far as his reputation and being the the number one power fighter in the world. He was definitely going to get the title fight anyway. It'll be more beneficial to him to have a fight camp knowing who he's going to fight and not just, you know, on that day, you could be fighting either Charles Oliveira or Islam, which you wouldn't be prepared for either of them because both fighters have very different fighting styles. So I do agree with Cejudo here. I don't always agree with Sohudo, but I do agree with Cejudo here. I'm not really mad that he, that Volkanovski is the backup fighter again. You know, if w Oliver to Islam were to fall out, it still makes a great fucking fight. But I do agree with Suhudo in the fact that maybe this will put him in the best light, especially being the number one pound for pound fighter in the entire sports. Now I want to go over Petri predictions portion of this podcast. Now, as we said for the 1 FC we had literacy on Drage, right? For the Bantamweight title. I'm not gonna go into predictions for this one because I have no fucking clue. I I know both fighters minimally. So to give you an honest opinion, I think you can't even bet on this fight anyway. But to give you an honest opinion who I think would win would be false because I barely know each fighter, so I literally would just be guessing. Um but that being said, you should definitely watch it. You should is this Friday, I believe is on Amazon, I believe is on Prime again. If not, you could, you can could, Watch it directly from the website, which I love that concept that they have. You can watch the cards directly on the site if it's not the cards partnership with Prime. So, you should watch it, man. You should watch it. That's a good fight. They have, I believe, a multi-fight or a kickboxing championship fight as well. And I I think they have a grappling fight, a grappling championship fight as well in that card, too. It looks like a fairly good card. I think it should definitely be watched. Of course, it's going to get overshadowed by UFC 280, but... It's another card that's not bad, so why not watch it? Um, then uh, for picks-wise, Bilal versus Brady. This is such an interesting fight. I believe that both men, betting-wise, were it was fairly neck-and-neck. Neck. Um, last time I checked, I don't remember who was a betting favorite, but I do know it would, it was very, very, very slight. I... Uh, this one's hard. This one's really hard. I do think overall Brady is the better grappler. I think Brady is a better grappler. I think Bilal's gas tank might be a little better though. I think Bilal's gas tank is better. In a five round fight, I would have picked Bilal. Because I don't think Brady was going to get the finish over Bilal. I think it would have went to all five rounds. I don't think Brady. I think Brady's only been to the fifth round. I mean, only been to the third round a handful of times. So going all five would be a brand new experience for him. And Bilal's gas tank is incredible, like I said beforehand. So I do think that if it was a five round fight, I would have gave it to Bilal. Since it's a three round fight, I'm giving it to Brady. I think Brady's going to pull this one off. I think Brady's going to pull this one off again. Bilal's grappling is very good. I do think Brady's grappling is just a notch above. I do think that first round is going to be like the first round against Saryuki and and Gamera. It's going to be constant grappling and scrambles. It's going to be a beautiful thing to watch if you love grappling. But I do think overall that Brady would be able to get a hold of him and get him to the ground. I do think that. I think the first round will be a lot of of scrambling, but I do think he'll be able to get Bilal to the ground in the second and the third round. The one thing that everyone talks about when it, in regards to Brady is how freakishly strong he is. Like obviously the dude's built like a brick shit house. He's fucking huge. Huge for the division. Brawlic fuck. But one thing that just really shocks everyone is how fucking strong he is. It's like he's literally grappling for Gorilla. And I think that Bilal is going to realize that in this upcoming bout. Again if it those five rounds, would to give it to Bilal, but says it's three rounds, with DeBrady, Brady. And it's a fucking shame that this is the, the main event of prelims. This should definitely be on the main card. But this card is stacked from top to bottom. Probably one of the most stacked cards I've ever seen in my entire life. Hopefully, we don't have any mishaps going into this. Everyone makes weight. Please, for the love of God. Now we have Jan against O'Malley. And again, if it was a five-round fight, I would say Jan takes it all day. I would literally bet my life on it if it was a five-round fight. Because this is what would have happened. Jan would have punted on the first two rounds then started picking O'Malley apart the last three rounds. Especially if in the last two. Since it's a three round fight it changes things. It changes things. Because Jan punts on the first round. And typically punts on the second round too. So I know that Jan is going to give up this first round. I know for a fact in that first round is going to be feeling O'Malley up and is going to punt on that round for the for the second round I think Jan would really start to put it together in the third round I think he'll really start to figure O'Malley out and put O'Malley in the third round but my thing is is he gonna punt the first two rounds is he gonna let O'Malley take the first two rounds because he's feeling them out and start putting them on in the third so that's what I'm worried about that's my biggest concern I think Jan is the overall better fighter. I don't think anyone's arguing that. But is he going to take it extremely slow those first two rounds? I am giving it to Jan. I think that Jan's overall the better fighter. I think if Jan spart, he should feel out the first round. Utilize a lot of grappling that second in that third round just to win the fight. But... I can see O'Malley taking this one too. The, I don't think O'Malley's gonna I I don't think O'Malley's gonna finish Jan. I don't think he's gonna fucking knock Jan out or piece Jan up or any regard. How I think O'Malley could win this fight is if Jan punts the first two rounds, like I've been alluding to before. But I do think that Yan is not gonna do that. He has very good fight IQ. He's gonna be very aware that he has two rounds and he has to do what he has to He only has three rounds and he has to do what he has to do. So I give it to Jan. Now we have Sterling as Dillashaw, and definitely Sterling's a favorite for a reason. Sterling is most definitely the favorite for a reason. I, I personally think that Sterling is going to take this one. I think that Dillashaw will have a very hard time. With Sterling's grappling. And Dillashaw is a very good wrestling and scrambler as well. But the one thing that Sterling is so good on. Single leg takedowns. When in regards to every time he takes the back of his opponent. is able to get his point to the ground. The initiation is done through a single leg. And Dillashaw gets his legs caught a lot. Like in the Sanhagen fight. He got his leg caught a couple of times. Which you can't afford to do that. Against someone like Aljamain Sterling. So I do think that Sterling will be able to effectively grapple Dillashaw um, for uh, most of this fight. I do think if it's on the feet, Dillashaw has it all day. Because Dillashaw is by far the better striker. But I think grappling-wise that Sterling will be able to uh, to take Dillashaw down and control him. But it's one of those things that the MMA community is like, Yo, if Dillashaw wins, fuck, we have a cheater for a champion. If Sterling wins, fuck, we have the guy we don't like for a champion. So, it's kind of a lose-lose for a lot of the casual MMA community. But, that being said, I do give it to Sterling. Now, we have Oliveira against Islam. And, this one is interesting. This is by far the most interesting fight in the card. Styles make matchups for a reason, guys. Styles make matchups for a goddamn reason. And... (sighs) <sighs> it's hard. This is, this is really, really hard. I'm personally giving it to Oliveira. I think that is not... I think that the fact that he's the underdog in this one makes no sense. I think he should be a slight a slight favorite. I don't think he should be a, a definite favorite, but I do, I do think he should be a slight favorite. And I just think that Oliveira has the the style to beat someone like Islam. Islam, very grappling heavy, very wrestling heavy. Taking Oliveira down to the ground would not be smart. Even though, you know, Islam's submission offense and grappling is is very formidable. But to put yourself in a situation that you're wrestling someone who literally has the most submissions in UFC history, it's just not the smartest move to do. Not saying that Islam can't pull it off. I think his skill set can definitely definitely prove that he can pull it off, but... Fight IQ-wise is not the best best way to go. So that leads you to striking. Oliveira's striking is so much better than Islam's striking. If it's just a fight that's completely on the feet, obviously, Charlie is going to take that fight every single time. He's going to win that fight every single time. But the game plan for Charlie is, of course, keeping on the feet. Which, of course, is a lot harder said than done with Islam's grappling and wrestling prowess. But he does have that kryptonite to the wrestling prowess, which is his jiu-jitsu game, his submission game, which is fucking phenomenal. Again, the best submission artist in UFC history, has the most submission wins in UFC history. Um, so as someone that you don't want to go to the ground with, so as kind of forcing you to stay on the feet, which he has the advantage in as well. And on top of that, Charlie's a very good grappler in his own right. He's a very good wrestler in his own right. Do I think he can out-wrestle Islam? No, not at all. Do I think he should try to wrestle Islam? No, not at all. He should definitely keep on the feet. But he just has the style to beat someone like Islam. On top of that, you know, Charlie has fought the best of the division. And he's beaten the best of the division. He's finished the best of the division. Granted, he has a lot of setbacks in a lot of those fights too. You know, he, 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 he gets rocked and comes back and... You know, almost gets to, he gets to finish. So, kind of a Cinderella story there. But, he 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 just has the style to beat Islam, I feel. And on top of that, Islam, when you look at his record, the one question that is so blaring to everyone is, who has he beaten? He hasn't beaten the top of the division. He hasn't fought the upper echelons of the division. Not saying that he can't beat him. I think he has the skill set to beat almost all of them. But, you know, that's the one big criticism on Islam as well. And on top of that is the mental fortitude. Like, Charles is mentally tough. He got a lot of slack before because, you know, he quit during some of the his fights and he got finished eight times. But that's not the Charlie we know now. And it's clear that, you know, Islam, not saying he has an identity crisis because he's in the shadow of Khabib and everyone's calling him the next Khabib. But it's definitely he doesn't have that same level of confidence and, and intestinal fortitude that Khabib did. So I think that Charlie takes this one. I think Charlie takes this one. I think he takes it in three. I think he takes it in three rounds. I, I humbly, humbly think he takes it in three rounds. Now I want to get into the hot takes portion of this podcast. So the UFC has now banned all fighters and coaches from betting on the fights. So he says that if, if the fighter is fighting, I believe. I believe that the fighter is fighting or any fighters in the fight card, you can't bet on it. Or I could be entirely wrong, and it's just you. If you're a fighter or a coach in the UFC, you can't bet on anything. And the question is, is this the right move? And here's the thing: I personally think it's the right move. It sucks that a lot of these fighters and a lot of these coaches do bet on the fights for the fact that you know there's not a lot of money. The UFC is really giving out to these guys. So you have to compensate, you know, and gain income or revenue or money in general in other sources. So, this being one of them. I forgot there's a coach who bets on a lot of his fighters, and he says that he makes more money doing that than anything else, which can be a huge conflict of interest. A huge, huge, huge conflict of interest financially when you're betting on someone to, you know, win a fight. When you're financially involved, you're obviously going to be, you know, you're going to have that mindset of even if you're a coach and you really want your fighter to win. If you bet on them to get a knockout, if they're winning two rounds, right? If you're winning two rounds and you bet on them to get a knockout, then you're kind of going to subconsciously push them to give it their all in the third round so that, You can get the knockout to get the payout. You know, a lot of fighters, a lot of people are going to do that subconsciously because they have money on the line for it. Or imagine if, you know, if you have a fighter, if you're a coach and you're betting, you have a fighter who is currently down two rounds and you bet on them to win. You're going to give them advice to try to put themselves out there to get the W because you have financial backing in it. So it's a clear, clear, clear cut you know, It's obvious that it could be a huge um, conflict of interest in regards to UFC embedding. It can cause a lot of problems further down the road. So I do think it's the right choice, but it sucks that the fighters are and the coaches are using, losing a revenue source, if you will. So I do think that overall, it's the right choice and the right thing to make and the right thing to do. But kind of sucks because ain't a lot of money being made for most people in the MMA game. So that is episode 25 of R6 of May Talk, the fight after the fight. You can find me on Instagram, Noah underscore A underscore Petrie, or find me on Twitter at Noah Petrie R6. Of course, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, um, iHeartRadio, and basically all the major podcasting platforms. But I'll talk to you next week, guys. I hope you have a good week and enjoy the fights. Peace out.